From Indianapolis, Indiana, our coverage of the NFL Scouting Combine continues. Lucas Oil Stadium, the site, the on-field testing beginning tomorrow. But across the street in the Indiana Convention Center, it's hot and heavy on Radio Row in the Media Center. And welcome in. It's Jags AM from Radio Row in Indianapolis. J.P. Shadrick, John Osier, and the king of the Combine has arrived to sit in his throne all week long. It's Bucky Brooks. Welcome to Indy. Hey, Lou, man, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be here. Like, it's one of my favorite places, one of my favorite events to attend, get a chance to see old colleagues, get a chance to see the new class of players coming in, and catch up with you guys. It's truly like the Pied Piper when you follow him around here. I mean, it's people follow him. He is he, He's an icon. But I'm not sure, Bucky, that your event is going to be your event for that much longer. I think uh, the Combine feels to me like it's changing. We'll talk about that later in the show. Yeah, like definitely not the same. Not as many people, not as many personnel coming out to the event, which is kind of depressing. Everybody well, wants a you. piece. Of, everybody wants a piece of Bucky Brooks. I mean, the, the latest mock came out. We'll get to that. It was yesterday, just in time for the combine and your visit here. And everybody wants to talk to you about yeah. their, your selections for their team. Yeah. Hopefully, I can, I can remember who I put there. You know, <laughs> you know musical chairs. I mean, you're sitting there late on a Sunday night trying to throw darts to try and figure out who's who and what's what. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, but. Right now, the mocks will not have as much accuracy. We haven't even done free agency yet. Nope. Haven't got anything. Haven't like, cut players yet. Yeah, we're still trying to figure it out. Not have as much accuracy. So they'll have, like, less than Oh, as we get closer. As we get closer, <laughs> you can kind of narrow it down. But, yeah, like, you know, like right now, we're really guessing. It's, yeah. It's clickbait a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. A little? Just a little. <laughs> you think? Just a little clickbait. Imagine little clickbait. that. Imagine that. <laughs> Buggy Brooks with clickbait. Uh, Charles Davis, NFL Network, CBS Sports, Sirius XM Radio, coming up in just a little bit. He's around Radio Row as well. He'll join us uh, here on the program in just a little while. Of course, uh, the big reason why we are here every year is that the GM and head coach speak with the media, and they did that yesterday. Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson really setting the tone for the start of the 24 campaign and beyond. The league year officially begins March 13th, but this is really the start where the messaging begins for how they're going to move forward, John. And, hey, um, collective front was the idea, right? There was a lot of noise in the mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. after the 9-8 the and eight and the collapse to get there and miss the playoffs, but both were out there yesterday, and now they have a course moving ahead. Yeah, and I thought uh, both of them on our show and then when they are on the podium did a nice job setting the tone and uh, clarifying, which uh, Trent had said a couple weeks ago, look, this was a 9-8 and eight team. It was not a 1-16 and 16 team. They don't feel like they're far away. I thought Trent on the podium probably said it best, uh, very disappointed by the end of last season, but focused on moving forward. Bucky, I, I don't think they're that far away. Uh, do you agree with what they were saying, and are there, are there moves that they can make? Are there things that they can do, quote, easily to get to where they want to go? I think so. I, I, look, I don't think the team is far away. I mean, it, it's, it's funny. It's just – the way that the team finished that it that led to the support. It was a nine and eight that I felt mean, like three I mean, and fourteen. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean it just it just felt bad just because the tailspin that the team went on down the stretch, but it also coincided with Trevor Lawrence suffering a handful of injuries, not being able to play at his best, but also not having Christian Kirk there, having a, a handful of other injuries that impact the performance. The and that's not, of that. Yeah, and Kirk, that's yeah. not necessarily an excuse because injuries are going to happen. But if you go back and look at the amount of close games that they lost how they lost those games, and the performance of their star players, the injuries did have a, 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 a big impact on the way the team finished the season. 
lot of talk uh, yesterday. Doug Peterson, of course, was at the podium. Uh, we'll hear from these guys coming up, some some bites from yesterday. But then after, uh, had a little scrum off to the mm-hmm. side with uh, the local media, as they often do here before the run to Radio Row. And that's when the offensive play calling question line started to come mm-hmm. up, John. Yeah. You were standing right there, and, and Doug Peterson um, – said, hey, everything's under evaluation still. Yeah, he he expressed great f- faith in Press Taylor, which I do believe he has. He didn't waver from Press all year. Yep. I think Doug's thought on it is that him him and Press are of such like mind that there's not much of a difference. One of them I called plays in the first half, one mm-hmm. in the second half in, in 22. Uh, but that being said, uh, Brent Martin noted, and I should have asked him the question, Doug might be one of the best play callers in the NFL. Yeah. And Brent's question to him was, it, if you're that good at it, uh, sort of doesn't it make sense for you to call it no matter how good press is at it? And, uh, you know, it, that made sense to me. And Doug didn't really address that question in particular. But he certainly left the door open to call plays, Bucky. Well, I think as a head coach, ultimately you have veto power. And you're responsible for the performance of the team. And as the noise escalates around the team, Sometimes as a head coach, you got to jump in there. I do often wonder, when your superpower is you're one of the best play callers in the league, right. to see control of that, to me, sometimes you wonder why. But I think the great example for Doug is looking at his old mentor, uh-huh. Andy Reid. And Andy Reid has been able to cycle through a few offensive coordinators, guys who have called plays. And but keep when the it, system the same. same. You know, yeah. But then when it gets down to it, Andy recalls the plays in those critical moments. And so maybe it's a bit of that yin and yang where, look, Fresh, you call it, but in some of these got-to-have-it moments or based on the feel and the floor of the game, maybe he has to step in and do maybe a little more of the play calling than he did last year. And, and Doug did say, and I believe this from talking to head coaches over the years, he liked that 30,000-feet view yeah, right. that you're able to get when you don't have your nose sort of in the play sheet. Um, Game situations, management, the whole deal. And maybe he's sort of adjusting to that a little bit, how to best balance that. Does that make sense, Buck? Well, yeah, because when you're the head coach, there's so many other things that you're responsible for outside of just being the offensive play caller. You have to understand what the defense is doing, what issues are giving them problems, the special teams, how you want to tie it all together. Sometimes when you're the play caller, it is harder to kind of manage the entire game and kind of coordinate all the different phases to the, to the team. That said, he has been such a good play caller. He has done wonders with quarterbacks throughout his time. You do wonder, by stepping back, how does it impact the thing? I, I kind of liken it to, I mean, like playing a video game. You and I can all play with the same team, but we have our own different styles and flavor that we add to it. Doug Peterson's flavor is a lot different than Press Taylor. And so, I don't know, I kind of miss some of the Doug stuff that he was doing the first <laughs> the first year sure, sure. In, in Jacksonville. Hey, and, and he made reference yesterday also to, you know, had to step back a little bit. Some other things were going on off to the side, and I guess you can infer that maybe it was some defensive issues. He had to kind of oversee a little bit more. And maybe with a new coordinator in, may not have to do as much of um, on that side of the ball. He's not really used to that, and maybe he can get back to some of that. Yeah, he well, certainly said he hoped that, you know, you hope your defensive coordinator, when High Ryan Nielsen, works out where he's that guy. He didn't say that Mike Caldwell wasn't, but he made reference to that a little bit. Yeah. Didn't really get into what he was talking about, so to speak, of, of, of what he had to address. But if you change your dynamic just a little, 
then in big moments, maybe that changes it a lot. Mike. Yeah, it does change it a lot. And so here's the thing about an offensive head coach, play caller. When you're the play caller and the head coach, a lot of times you want a defensive head coach, meaning the defense coordinator is in charge of that side of the ball, and you're just able to work on focus on offense and not entrust it. But because Mike Caldwell might have been having some issues on that side, he had to step in and do more, and that distracted him from being able to concentrate on what he wanted to do on offense. Our guest today on Jags AM from the NFL on CBS, NFL Network, Sirius XM Radio, I guess another king of the combine. I didn't know there were multiple kings. Oh. It's Charles Davis. Kings up. King world. Right. Yes. What's yes. up, Charles? How are you? I'm doing great. We yeah, we got, we got you. you. Yeah, yeah, we're good. We got I'm you. Do, I'm doing well. It's so great to see all of you. And, and Bucky's got to be sick of me because Bucky just spent a week with me in New Orleans <laughs> great at stories. the HBCU All-Star great Game, the Legacy Bowl. Great story. But uh, thank goodness I get a chance to hang with all of you again. This is great. Good to see you. And uh, we're reviewing Doug Peterson and Trent Balky at the podium yeah. yesterday, Jaguars leadership and some of the play-calling storylines that have come out of that on the offensive side. You saw the Jags how many times last year, Charles? God, we saw them, what, three times, I believe, last year? I, yeah. think, I think it was three times. I know we saw you in Pittsburgh. Yeah. It was a good win there. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas City at home early, early. when it was 3,027 mm-hmm. degrees. Yep. It was very hot. Was up. I, I will tell you, this is a true story. Um, the people who bring you games and televise games and all always get overlooked because, you know, they, you know what I'm talking about. Our camera people happen to be out there and that. that. Yeah. So person who runs the handheld, you know, where you got it on yeah. your shoulder and you're doing it, <laughs> those cameras are black. Mm-hmm. Okay, oh. black's not the color you want in the heat, right? You don't want any of that. <laughs> it was so hot, literally had to go to the hospital with burns on his hand. Wow. Oh, okay. And we had another camera person fall out that day. It was brutally, brutally hot. Heck of a football game. Mm-hmm. And Jacksonville had multiple opportunities to win it. Yeah. Couldn't score in the red zone. Now, you know, that's been a story against the Chiefs for a couple of years. Yeah. Yep. That was um, the deal. So, uh, we're talking about offensive play call. And Doug Peterson didn't close the door yesterday on taking it back. It, you know, something he shouldn't. And I don't mean that as a, as a slam against Press Taylor or anything like that. You're the head coach. What is best for your team? The only thing I would say, and Doug needs no advice from me, but look at what Carolina did last year and don't do that. <laughs> and, and this is this is coming from someone with full respect for Frank Reich because I love Frank Reich. I hated how it went for him at Carolina, but to say you're going to be the play caller with a rookie quarterback who's number one, turn it over midseason and then take it back, Bucky. That's yeah, a that's a, that's Whatever a rookie quarterback. Do, you yeah, it's, it's, when, when you hit commit and go, that's all I say. It is hard. So we were having a conversation before you came on, and we were talking about maybe he learned something from watching Andy Mm Reid. You certainly have seen the Kansas City Chiefs, and it appears that even though he has a coordinator (laughs) who is calling plays, Big Red Red (laughs) takes over a lot. And so I do wonder, do you think that Doug can kind of pick up the phone, call Andy, and say, how do I navigate, how do I manage this situation where I'm a really good play caller, I have a a young guy that I want to groom for, kind of an elevated role. How do I kind of – Dip in and dip out when it comes to play calling. He absolutely can call him. You know that Andy's going to take that call. Those are all his kids. All right. right. He's, he groomed them. Plus, he can go back and remember his experience because Andy was still calling the plays, and, and Doug wasn't a full-time play caller when he came. Remember how Andy would let him call parts of things yeah. in different <laughs> spots? And then crunch time, I got it. I got it. <laughs> and then off they would go. So he remembers how it all went. To me, it is much more about what you were saying. You're grooming a young play caller. If you want to call plays, how do I do this with this young play caller, where that young play caller, I don't lose him because he feels like I've taken something from him. 
that's going to be the key if Doug Peterson wants to do that. Mike McCarthy went through it. Remember, he gave mm-hmm. up play calling. But he always took it back in the off season and was definitive about it when he would take it back. It wasn't during season. I'm taking it. I think that's where Doug is going right now with his dilemma. Charles, right before you got here, we were talking about Jaguar season. Obviously, it, it finished disastrously, which sort of made a nine and eight season feel like three and fourteen. Right. right? Um, you maybe being a bit separate from it, where we got to get into the minutia. Yeah. Overall, where do you see this team? Uh, can you bounce back from what happened at the end of last year? How do you assess it going forward? Yeah, I think that they can. It, it was a major shocker. I mean, I'm not going to mm-hmm. sit here and, and sugarcoat the whole thing. As I watched it go, mm-hmm. I kept thinking they're going to figure this thing out. This is going to this is going to happen. They're going to be okay. The last time we saw you was Cleveland, right? Mm-hmm. And that which was, wasn't which was terrible. Right. You know, it, was it wasn't there. terrible. But you remember that was right after the Monday nighter. Mm-hmm. Where, Tra- where Trevor got rolled up, and we weren't sure he was going to play, yep. and he came out and played. Look, two seasons in a row in the AFC South, the division title was locked up at midseason, and neither one of those teams won the division. Mm-hmm. Tennessee the year before, mm-hmm. you reeled them in. Yep. Last year it was you. Houston comes, com- comes in. I think it's fixable. Because I think the culture that Doug Peterson sets up is fine. I mean, this this is not mm-hmm. other cultures that may exist around the league where once you collapse like that, there's no coming right. back. I don't see that at all. And I think he and Trent Baalke make the key the key decisions that have to be made in order to improve this team. And I expect them to fight it out again this year. But I think the competition's gone up because mm-hmm. I think Indianapolis – it's going to be a problem. I really do. I think that they're going to be an issue depending on Anthony Richardson and where they go. We already know where Houston is. They, they, they found themselves. Yeah. But Bucky can tell you better than anyone, young teams that play ignorant the first year out. Yeah. The second year, all of a sudden, they know what they can lose. It's a different deal. I can't wait to see how Houston handles. Expectations. Last, year, last year was just like, oh, oh we're in it. This is great. I want to see how they handle the expectations going. And Tennessee, we know, is hitting the reset button. So thinking about expectations, uh, the expectations around Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. Uh, everyone was expecting a major jump coming off that playoff performance. Yep. Could he be a top-five quarterback? When you look at Trevor, because you've been around the league, you've seen other quarterbacks, how do you kind of slot him in the equation with the other elite quarterbacks around the league? I, I haven't put him – I can't put him in elite yet, but, I, but the elite potential – it's all right there. Everything that we see is right there. Just what you talked about, Bucky, how the how he can bounce back in the playoff game, even before that, how he played down the stretch. Um, the Kansas City game encapsulated everything for me last year, and it was early, but it encapsulated it all. Some brilliant plays, but what it is, as Jerry Glanville used to say all the time, you know, you run the football to set a tone, but when it's time to ring that bell, you got to be able to throw it. <laughs> and inside the red zone, they couldn't ring the bell right. mm-hmm. against Kansas City. And Trevor made two bad throws. And when I say bad throws, he airmailed them, yeah. right? Receiver had a chance, airmailed them. Those are throws the elite quarterbacks don't miss. And I think one day we'll be talking about Trevor Lawrence not missing those throws, and we'll be talking about being an elite quarterback. Charles Davis with us here on Jags AM from the Indiana Convention Center at the NFL Scouting Combine. So now moving ahead, Jaguars have the 17th pick. We've talked throughout the offseason Yeah, I even, brought no, I even brought notes. Oh, you, you brought no cards. Yeah, That's notes. a lot of notes. Because I was up last night thinking about oh, different wow. things. So are those all your Jaguar notes? No, like, no, these, oh, okay. these, these are multiple multiple teams and multiple situations man, got, and the whole thing. Because, you know. This, like Why don't when, you do this, Buck? Like, like, like when, cards like this. Like, like when, like he, oh, believe me, he does. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't, don't act like he does. Somebody. But like Winnie yeah, the Pooh, bear of little brain, 
So I've had to make sure I put this all down so I got a chance, all right? Well, I mean, so moving ahead for the Jags, right? Cornerback, they got a new defensive coordinator coming in. Uh, They couldn't stop the run in the second half of the season. So defensive line, especially the interior, might be something to look at. But you got to protect the quarterback at some point, too, in the interior. So, you know, right now, where are you? Listen, offensive tackle is a loaded position. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I think you can get a really good one down at 17. So if that's where you want to go, depending on where the teams go, because we're going to have a run on quarterbacks early, and it wouldn't be surprised, it would not surprise me at all that some of these quarterbacks get pushed up and mm-hmm. create a mm-hmm. second run that we're going to have, right? So if you have that, that eats up spots. And then all of a sudden, what if the big kid at Oregon State is oh, somehow around? Fawaga. Fawaga, right? What if he's still available sitting there at that point, you know? Um, what's the kid at Penn State? So, you know, it's just so many different names that you're going to go with. J.C. Latham, I love out of Bama, mm-hmm. but I feel like he's a right tackle. So if you're thinking about true left tackle, that, that might be an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about, listen, I just sat with Byron Murphy from Texas. Oh, if we're yeah. talking about interior defensive linemen, yeah. impressive. that's a whole lot of man right there. Yep. There's no question. <laughs> and at corner, I don't know he's going to make it down to you, but he might. Rake straw. Oh, Missouri. Yeah. The reason I say that is because in your division, there's a running back in Indianapolis. They're going to try and get going again. Mm-hmm. Houston actually, you got mm-hmm. defensive head-minded head coach. He'd like to run the ball a little bit more, and and they started to do that, trying to emerge who it was. Damian Pierce had a bad year, but they jumped that back up again mm-hmm. because Devin Singletary mm-hmm. played really well. And Tennessee with Brian Callahan, I don't rule that out. Because if they do find a way to re-sign Derrick Henry, that's a good starting block for him because he's going to have a, a young quarterback. But Rakestraw will tackle out at the corner. So I know we're talking about Terry and Arnold, right? We're talking about Kool-Aid McKinstry and, and Nate McKinstry. Wiggins yep. and, at Clemson, all that. You'll have an opportunity for a, an elite corner, I think, if you want one at 17. That's the way you went, Bucky, on your latest mock, one of uh, 17 mocks you're going to have. Which one did you right? – who did you have? So I threw, in, I threw in Nate Wiggins, yep. and part of that is because Ryan Nelson coming in, Chris Richard, the way they want to play on the perimeter, a lot of press coverage, doing That's those him. things. But you had a chance to see someone that is of interest, Quinion Mitchell yeah. from Toledo. You had a chance to see him down at the Senior Bowl. What can you tell us about the small school standout? Th- this kid, to me, has a plan when he lines up to play. He's one of those side saddle guys. Right, mm-hmm. meaning he wants to be able to look back into your what your offense is doing. So he wants to be on the outside of the receiver and kind of catch you at, at break points and then go get you. All week at the Senior Bowl, I thought that, you know, really I, lo- I thought he lost like one major route. And by the way, it's a five-yard game. <laughs> and it was against Roman Wilson. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Roman threw about eight moves in, including the last one. And you, at the end of the day, you're like, okay, five yards, I'll give that up. For the most part, he competes for anything downfield. The year before, he was a major ball hawk. He yeah. took the ball away. Didn't get as many opportunities last year. But he still had almost the same number of passes broken up. I think he's a legit item. I was really impressed by what I saw. And if somehow that's the guy, I don't see any reason why he, you know, that wouldn't be a good pick for you. All right, Charles, final thoughts with you here. What's, uh, what's the rest of your week looking like here in Indy? Hanging out with Bucky here because we're both about mm. to get ready to go to work for NFL Network on, on the draft stuff, Thursday, yep. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, you know, check your local TV listings <laughs> like we used to say, and, and I'll be doing that. But the truth of the matter is I'm, I'm still playing catch-up, you know, and trying to learn all these kids, learn all these prospects. And this is valuable for people like me, like guys who do it year-round. 
they should be in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. And this is it's not mm-hmm. finishing school, but you know what I'm saying, right, yeah. Bucky? Yeah. For me, oh, this yeah. is like the first day of school, okay? <laughs> and so it's, it's a lot of fun. I've done work, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, now I get to see them move and do all the other things. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And I'll be spending a lot of time on the field, which really, really is fun for me. It keeps me involved. And I'm right around these kids, and I get to kind of take their measure a little bit, right? Yeah, You know, that sort of a a deal. We were in New Orleans, and there was a quarterback that we liked. And both of us were walking the field, and we made sure we got next to him so we could kind (laughs) of measure him up, up. feel him up, size him up. That's what you get to do here at the Combine. You're the best, Charles. Thanks for the Man, time. It's so great to see you guys. Continued success. I'll be up to bother you during training camp, maybe even before, and I hope we get some more games. Look forward to it, Charles. <laughs> Plenty ahead. That's Charles Davis. We're back with more in a moment. It's Jags AM from Indy. Welcome back to Indianapolis. Jags AM continues. Move the freight. Move the freight. Magellan Transportation <laughs> voted coolest office space in Jacksonville. Apply online at MagellanLogistics.com. Magellan is spelled M-A-G-E-L-L-A-N. It's Jags AM from Indianapolis. Our thanks to Charles Davis, uh, John Osier, Bucky Brooks with us here on Radio Row. Trent Balky and Doug Peterson joined us at the table here yesterday, and we asked them both about the days following the season, the meetings, and how they found a path forward. The biggest thing, too, was just talking to players. And, and we had really good good conversations with players at the end of the year. Um, you know, just how can we as a staff help them and do, and do better, right? And, and you know, so, so that's kind of where it starts. For me, that's where it starts, and, and really with the players and making sure that, that I'm doing and the staff is doing everything in our power to, to make sure that they have the best available to them on the football field, can execute, and we can execute at a high level because obviously the last month we didn't do that. When you end up the way we did, there's the whys. And the first thing you got to do is answer those questions. What are the whys? How did we end up there? And I think we did that. We assessed it. And if we do that and we, we make the changes that we feel we need to make, we're going to be looking back and saying this was a good process that we went through. This organization maybe needed to go through this to get to where we ultimately want to go. Nobody likes to lose. Nobody likes to be out of the playoffs. Uh, But really, at the end of the day, there's only one team standing that's happy with how their season ended. We obviously weren't happy. We we got together. We sat down. We talked it through. We made it a plan along with the rest of the staffs, both personnel and, and coaching. And now it's time to execute it. That, of course, was yesterday. Trent Balky and Doug Peterson, the full conversation with both uh, here at the table, available now on Jaguars.com. And those are t- – take us through some of those – I don't know how many of those kind of conversations after a season you might have been involved with in a scouting capacity, but those are not fun, but they have to be had. It's an yeah. important reset, right? Yeah, it's an important reset because what you want to do is you want to tell the truth. You want to honestly assess where your team is. And it's one thing to be hopeful and optimistic about what the team is going to accomplish. But after the season, you saw exactly what the team was. And you have to evaluate the team for as it was. It's a 9-8 and team. Where, did, where can we get better? What is the personnel actually like? Um, from an ego standpoint, do we need to give our draftees more opportunities, or do we need to move on from some of the guys that have underperformed? All of those things have to be included in the conversation, and you want to put the best plan uh, together that allows you to get back and to, look, be a better team than they were last year. And sometimes it takes having those hard conversations and making tough decisions in the offseason about who remains on the Jaguars who's not. 
You'll think that some of those began, though, as the season was starting to wind down. They don't just magically start, no. um, you know, January 8th. But the tone whatever. changes, right? Yeah. You, you sort of stop uh, hoping a guy is going to get better in the last few weeks, and then you say, okay, well, he's not, or we know now we have to move on from this veteran. Do we like this rookie who's coming up behind him? Uh, so this, these last six, seven weeks always fascinate me because you wind up at the combine. Mm-hmm. Now everybody, it's the cliche. Now everybody really is O and O again. Everybody really has hope. Uh, to me, I liked what Doug and Trent said here yesterday. I, you know, uh, but it's, now they have to go execute. Yeah, they have to go execute it, and it's really important, uh, given all of the fodder that existed in, in Jacksonville about the two being kind of like having an acrimonious relationship or whatever. Can they get on the same page, and can they make decisions that are in the best interest of the team and not individual agendas? And so whether it's free agency, draft picks, or whatever, everything has to be done with what is best for the Jaguars in mind, and that requires taking an honest assessment of the team and where they need to make improvements to get this team to where we know they want to go. We've got plenty ahead. We'll take a timeout. Back in a moment, we'll hear from Daniel Jeremiah. You've heard of him. Oh, DJ. Your he guy. Jo- he joined yeah, us yesterday podcast as part. well. Yes. Okay, cool. Move the sticks pod, right? Should be fun. Yeah. Right, we'll back in a moment. We'll hear from him. And then we've got uh, a little later, Fanatics fan questions. Oh. Okay. We, we put out the cat signal, and we've come up with some good ones. Cool. We'll see if we can match that with good answers as well. That's a little bit later. And this is Jags AM. The receiver group, we can say this every year, is, is loaded. I have 12 in my top 50, uh, which I uh, posted the other day that uh, the record is 11 receivers going in the top 50. That happened twice. Uh, one, of, one of those years was 1994, and the 11th receiver was Bucky Brooks. How about that? That's a little nugget for you. Oh, wow. So I think there's a chance that could go down this year. I think we could see that many receivers. It is stacked. Uh, wide receivers deep, tackles deep, offense tackles deep. Um, corner has a good a good amount of depth there. It's an interesting kind of hero or zero draft this year. Welcome back. It's Jags AM from the Indiana, Indiana Convention Center, Indianapolis. J.P. Shadrick, John Osher, and Bucky Brooks. That was Daniel Jeremiah, NFL Network draft analyst. And uh, the full conversation available now on Jaguars.com. 11th receiver that year, huh? Yeah, 11th receiver. Um, and based on the way the career played out, I probably shouldn't have been 11. I, that, like, I had to go and play defense, so I, right. I, I, don't, I don't even really count. It but was the versatility yeah, that like got the, you drafted the, the, that the, vers- the versatility and all that other stuff. But I think it's a great point. What we're seeing, and um, it's been talked about in, on other platforms and other mediums, this is the byproduct of what we call seven-on-seven culture. These kids are being exposed to the passing game earlier, they're having more reps and more, uh, like, opportunities to catch the ball and do things where they master the passing game. And so it's not a surprise that each and every year we see a very deep and talented collection of pass catchers make their way to the league. It's, it's, it's really hopeful because if you're the Jaguars, you don't have to expend a first-round pick to get a quality wide receiver. Second, third round, there will be people that are available that can come in and contribute. And so it's a position that you always can keep an eye on because you can't find contributors outside of the first round. Okay, conceptually, Bucky, does that turn it in terms of the draft long-term? Does that make it sort of like running back? I think Where it, unless you're special, special, that it drives the – It should. It drives it down? Yeah. It should because we talk about supply and demand. If you're having so many talented players that are so – uh, closely graded, 
it should allow you to go elsewhere for a position that has a shallower pool to then come back in and get it. And when you look at guys like Puka Nakua, fifth-round pick that comes out of nowhere and plays at a high level, you think about our nemesis in our division, Tank Dale, and what he was able to do immediately for the Houston Texans. And the list goes on and on about these receivers that were taken outside of the first round that popped immediately. Yeah, you certainly can find receiver outside of the first round that can come in and be a big-time player. Where are you? Uh, we talked a little bit with Charles about this, but um, you know, cornerback in this defense, um, you know, is, is it the highest priority? Where would you rank the priorities of need right now for the Jags? I'm always going to opt for somewhere up, somebody up front, over as opposed to somebody in the back end, okay. uh, particularly a defensive tackle, because depending on how they decide to play. Trayvon Walker ultimately determines, is he an edge play, player? Is he a guy that moves inside as a tweener? Do you need another pass rusher on uh, nickel downs when it's obvious passing situations? A lot of that will uh, be determined, those conversations they had with Ryan Nielsen and what the vision of the defense is. In terms of the cornerback position, you can get some guys outside of the first round that can do it, but I would say the pool at cornerback is deeper than the pool at edge rusher. And so if edge rusher is a priority, like we think it always is, you got to invest in the edge rusher or the defensive tackle early, come back and get the corner later. And then what do you do interior of the offensive line? I mean, it's always hard because you wish you had three picks in the top 20 instead of one. Yeah, but I I would say this. There's some guys that are intriguing. Um, The conversation revolves around guard and center. There's been a lot of conversation about center. It's a really solid center class. There are guys that you can get, but also with the – offensive guards you can get those guys but you have to remember we're at a time there where all of these guys are like swing players meaning they can play multiple spots for instance uh there's a guy from duke coming out grand bart who's a outstanding player but he's a tackle but he also has center experience and so trying to find guys that can do multiple things that might be the way to go because you start them outside kick them inside try and find a place for them to be able to put your best five on the field at the same time Howard Mudd used to say the kids always should learn how to snap because you got to have uh, everybody needs to learn how to snap. Yeah. Everybody, make everybody snap. You should be snapping right now during breaks. We got a minute and a half. I'll learn in a hurry. We're back in a moment. <laughs> the Fanatics fan questions, and we'll wrap it up after this from Indianapolis. This is Jags AM. an ongoing discussion that we're having with his agent. Uh, in fact, later today I'm going to have another meeting with him as well. So, just ongoing. I don't want to speculate on that. Let's just, you know, we got a week, a little over a week to, to work with here. We're going to work diligently with his agent to try to come to a resolution on this thing. So that's that's where our focus is right now. Trent Baalke, of course, at the podium yesterday. The full podium access available at jaguars.com for both he and Doug Peterson. Welcome back. It's Jags AM. J.P. Shadrick, John Osher, Bucky Brooks, our thanks to Charles Davis. That was obviously with the Josh Allen negotiations ongoing, and that was yesterday. Apparently meetings yesterday with the representation. Uh, Same idea for Calvin Ridley. Uh, Baalke said that they met with Ridley one-on-one in the office last week. So mm. that conversation is ongoing and said, don't worry about the draft pick stuff as much. They want to get the player yeah. uh, and no matter what that takes. Okay. 
Also um, supposed to meet with Ezra Cleveland's people at some point this week as well. So all that's going on. A lot happened at that time of year. And then, what, March 5th is the deadline for the franchise tag, Bucky, the second part of that answer. Yeah, so there there are a lot of things that you're trying to juggle. The one thing that everyone needs to be aware of, and this bodes well for the players and Wells as a team, the salary cap going up. Surprising number. It goes up by $30 million. And so that opens up um, opportunities to do some things. So, for instance, we kind of thought that maybe Cam Robinson would be gone. When now the cap goes up, that conversation has kind of shifted a little bit, which helps the team in terms of that that having the harmony, the continuity on the offensive line. The number going up also helps when it comes to trying to fit in a bigger contract with Josh Allen and maybe Calvin Ridley. How does it go? Um, you have to be optimistic that these things are going to shift. The Calvin Ridley conversation changes, though, because T. Higgins signed in the franchise tag. What's now available on the free agent market? Uh, say what you want about him. He now becomes a more marquee free agent, and so that could be – but that could cost a few more coins to retain the services. Yeah, if you let him go, all of a sudden you're trying to replace eight touchdowns and 1,000 yards. So, uh, add it to I the like list. that. Added to the list of things. I like eight touchdowns and 1,000 yards. Yeah, yes. <laughs> that's right. Um, who doesn't? Time now for the Fanatics fan questions. Jags fans, gear up at Fanatics.com. With all the latest Jags styles, shop now and get today's special offer. Fanatics.com officially licensed everything. We put the cat signal out earlier last night. Here's the best we've come up with. At Climber Yoda 25889, what are the chances of bringing Daniil Hunter and mm. keeping Josh Allen as well? Seen a few reports that link us to Hunter. Look, that would be great, but you're going to have to give up something to get him. But it would be fantastic to be able to pair Josh Allen with Daniil Hunter and to have Trayvon Walker because to win at the highest level, you need to have three pass rushers, two outside, one inside. That would allow you to kick Trayvon Walker inside on some of those special downs. I would like it. But now can you pull it off? That would be the bigger thing. Yeah, it's been rumored for a long time. Uh, with rumors like that, I tend to take a, well, let's see if it actually happens because you can get lost in a million of these things. Uh, would it make sense? Sure. But like Bucky said, can they pull it off with, you know, do you want to give up the equity, either cap equity or if, if it takes trade? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Either. Uh, next question at Noha by O2. Why are they so defensive of the offensive line? Well, it, I'll take this one first, but because I answer this all the time. There's no gain to not talking positively about the guys yeah. in media availability, media availability situations. Uh, you can say what you want. Okay, you've got to replace the center, you got to replace this guard. Well, then if you get to the draft and you don't like what you're trying mm -hmm. to replace and it doesn't quite work out, well, then you criticize something for no reason. Yeah. So they know that there's spots. Doug said it yesterday. There's places where Luke Fortner's got to get better. There's places where everybody on the offensive line's got to get better. But you defend in this situation because as a coach and a GM, there's no reason not to. Absolutely. He doesn't want to put throw his guys under the bus. Regardless of what those internal discussions have been, he, Trent Baalke, the players, I mean the coaching staff and the personnel staff, they understand where they have to go. But it's not for public consumption. That's why you don't want to do it. Because if he puts them out there and then they're unable to pull off the plan that they have in place, well, now you've got to play a disgruntled player, a player who doesn't have the confidence of the coaches. He knows that. It just makes it for a more difficult thing. It is better to just put the positive spin on it and then attack that situation later. But you can tell from the way they've talked, 
they know the line needs to get better. It's not like they're sticking their head mm-hmm. in the sand on it. But there's a certain way that you talk about these things when you talk about them this time of year. Yeah, there was talk yesterday that, you know, the the line that they thought would be the starting line played one game together yeah. last year. The continuity mattered a lot, or lack of it, for the lack of success up there. I mean, it certainly had a big impact on it. You just you, – the best offensive lines play together snap after snap after snap, and we just didn't see that level of consistency last year. One well, to Doug's point, especially on the left side, you didn't. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what really destroyed that se- that side of the line for that season. Uh, Doug talked about that all year. Final question at JBS Ensley. How will Peterson evaluate the offensive play calling and make a decision moving ahead? What does that process entail? Oh, I mean, I think you go through the entire offseason. You go back, you've looked at all the games. You continue to let press work at it. You do all those things. You get into preseason, maybe preseason games, and kind of go through the process and see how it's going. He'll know when he needs to make that decision, whether he needs to jump in or if he can trust Press to continue to go with it. I think it's an ongoing development that we have to monitor. Yeah, I, I don't know that we'll know the exact process because for Doug, a lot of it may be feel, meaning, hey, I like what uh, I like what's going on defensively. Uh, I I like how this game situation got handled last year with. Mm-hmm a chance to reflect maybe he does feel more comfortable about what uh, Charles and Bucky were talking about hey I'm going to let press do it but then there's going to be situations where there's a means where I can mm-hmm. come in and take over so uh, I think the process is just study evaluation conversations there you have it fanatics fan questions are in that'll do it for our show today we've got uh, Jack's happy hour Thursday four o'clock on 1010 AM and the Jaguars YouTube channel uh, Pete Prisco will join us mm. at the start of the show. And Dr. Kevin Kaplan from Jacksonville Orthopedic Institute, the Jaguars team physician, uh, scheduled to join us as well to talk through all the combine medical oh. checks and things. Okay. Combine's Always big for the medical. A fun conversation. Um, busy day ahead. We'll have interviews coming up later throughout the afternoon on Jaguars.com. And, uh, Bucky, uh, enjoy your palace. I will. I will enjoy it. Um, hopefully I get a chance to see you guys. We can hang out. Uh, I know John has the credit card, so we make sure we run the bill up. Ring the bell. <laughs> we will do that. That's John Hosier, Bucky Brooks. I'm J.P. Shadrick. Thanks to our entire crew here in Indy and back in Jacksonville, and thanks to you for watching Jags AM.